Please remain standing as you're able out of respect for the Word of God, which we find in Samuel. Last week we began the story of David and Goliath. Uh, David went forward and volunteered to meet this giant and had confidence that God would give him the victory, and they bring him to Saul. Now Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with the sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Some years ago, I had a friend who, uh, each time he greeted me in the week, would bring me a new motivational saying that he had learned somewhere. And I remember one week, this was the motivational saying that he learned. He said to me, David, be the kind of guy that goes out after Moby Dick in a rowboat with a harpoon and tartar sauce. I thought that was pretty good. That's pretty much the attitude that David had, the kind of heart that we've been talking about that we need, a a heart after God's, a heart like David. And I want to continue thinking about that this week with you. If you want to follow along, there's an insert in the bulletin with an outline on it. And let me just remind you that last week we did talk about the rowboat. We talked about the fact that David had a courageous heart. David was the only one willing to leave the battle lines that had been drawn and step forward to face the giant Goliath. The only one, really, who got in the boat, we might say. And we also learned that David carried his tartar sauce with him in a sense that David's heart was confident that God would give him the victory because he included God in in the equation of facing this giant. He's the one who announced that God would give him the victory because the battle belongs to the Lord. So today, let's talk about how it happened. We've mentioned the rowboat in a sense and the tartar sauce. Let's look at the harpoon. How did David's heart take Goliath down? What do we learn about David in this battle? Well, I want to suggest to you we learned at least four things. And the first one is this, that a bold heart is developed in the face of opposition and criticism. A bold heart, a heart like David's, is developed in the face of opposition and criticism. David goes forward and volunteers to fight this giant, and his older, taller brother taunts him immediately and says, first says to him, you only came to see the bloodshed. And then later when he says, no, I'm here to fight, he said, well, you only want the reward, and, and criticized him for this. Well, I want to go two directions here for a moment. One, if you're tempted to criticize those who are in the battle, those who've gotten off the bench and into the game, I, I do want to give you this reminder. Rarely does your criticism prove helpful to another person. The kind of tweaking that you may want to do to their style, their efforts, might be considered sort of a toxic tweaking. If you're a parent, I would remind you of this truth, that children rarely grow up to become who you nag them to become. Generally, they grow up to become who you've encouraged them as they, as they move toward something. You've, you've encouraged them when you see their direction. So if you're tempted to criticize those in the game you might want to put a hold on it. But now let me tell you, for those of you who get in the game, who take a risk, who get in the rowboat, who step out across the line to face the giant, you can be sure you're going to be criticized. But you need to know this. Part of the reason you'll be criticized is because the people who are watching you take the risk they are not willing to take. 
have been in their own heart and mind convicted because of your risk. Eliab sees in David the very thing that he's afraid to do. Step up to get in to that battle. And so sometimes the people who are, who are toughest on you and most critical of you see in you what they wish they could see in themselves. And so you bear the brunt of the pain that they feel over their paralysis caused by their own fear. You need to know that. You need to know that as, as you step forward, that more than likely the people who are criticizing you are not really a part of the solution. The people who are criticizing you don't necessarily have the best interests of the group or the cause in mind. Or put another way, people who are busy uh, rowing the boat rarely find time to rock it. And so the people who are rocking the boat as you're trying to go out in it probably aren't making all that constructive uh, an effort to move forward in the problem anyway. So you might want to not give quite as much weight to their criticism anyway. I love the comment of Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln was uh, asked about all the criticism he was receiving during his presidency. And he said this, look, I don't have time to listen to the criticism, to all that criticism. If I did, I wouldn't have time to run the war. You need to be mindful of the source of that criticism. Here's the second thing you need to know. And that is this, that a bold heart, a bold heart will, must resist the pressure to conform. A bold heart must resist the pressure to conform. They're always going to want to put Saul's armor on you. When you step out, when you take a risk, when you take a chance, they're going to try to think of when they've ever seen something like this before and they're going to want you to do it the way that it's been done before. Here, wear this. Here, use this weapon. You will have to resist that pressure to do it the way another person did it. You need to know this. I think about Saul's armor. If it's all that great, why isn't Saul wearing it? If it's all that great, why doesn't Saul have it on and standing out there in front of Goliath? It's obviously not doing for him what it needs to do. And it's also interesting to note that if Saul is out there in this armor and, and puts, or puts it rather on David, David just looks like a miniature version of Goliath. He's going to try to fight Goliath on Goliath's own terms with a big sword, a big shield, lots of armor going to try to find him that way and you can't tackle a giant on their terms and win. Einstein put it another way. We've talked about this before. He said rarely are problems solved at the same level at which they're created. Sometimes a backdoor approach using not the way that it's been done before but the way that you uh, sense it ought to be done that fits you that that may provide the breakthrough. You'll recall Thomas Edison made many, 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 many attempts at inventing this light bulb. Finally, Edison hit upon using tungsten uh, as, as the filament in the light bulb. And they asked him, how in the world did you ever come up with that? And his response was, I came up with it because I'm not an expert. I came up with it because I'm not a metallurgist. If I had been a metallurgist, I would have known what I was attempting to do was impossible. That it couldn't be done. If he would have stuck within the way that it had always been done before and what people had always seen and always thought would, would work, it never would have happened. You must resist the pressure to do it the way that others have done it. That you will always be encouraged, even in the face of your risk, to conform to what others want. It's like, okay, you take the risk, but here, do it our way. You must do it as we move to number three in a way that fits you. A bold heart 
must use its own gifts. A bold heart must use its own gifts and its own talents. David puts down the sword and the, uh, of Saul, has his own sword. He puts down the armor and he takes five smooth stones. He will use his gifts and his talents in fighting this giant. Or another way to say it is this is what David does. David did what he was already good at. He do, did what he knew to do. He did what he was already good at. He had spent a lifetime already perfecting the art of the slingshot. So that's what he took into battle. His talent, not Saul's, not somebody else's, he took his in. And it's just amazing to me as I look around this world how often we want to uh, conform people to a certain image and decide that they should have a multiplicity of talents. And they ought to be equally good at everything. And, and so our goal is to make people well-rounded rather than to release them with their God-given equipment to go into the world. Marcus Buckingham discovered this. He came from the UK, worked for Gallup, and as he studied businesses, he came across a, a, a breakthrough uh, realization that very successful businesses were seeking and hiring talent and releasing the talent to do what they did best rather than to fit the talent into some uh, mold that they already have. They were trying to get their employees in areas of strength and turn them loose. And he wrote a book about that in 1999 called First Break All the Rules. And, and for the book, he asked the average American, should a person uh, spend most of the time uh, using their strengths or should they be well-rounded? And only 42% of Americans thought you ought to build on your strengths. The majority thought well, it would be better to be well-rounded. They thought Tim Duncan ought to move out further and shoot more threes. They thought that would be a better way to run. Well, when he sold this book, he sold nearly a million copies. And so for one of his sequels in 1995, he interviewed America again and asked him the same question. So a person build on their strengths, do better what they already do best, or should they try to be more well-rounded? And this time, after he'd sold a million copies, only 38% of Americans thought you ought to build on your strengths. It had dropped by 4%. He made this observation. He said, I'm the only guy in America who has statistical evidence of his own irrelevance. Well, is it that he's irrelevant or is it just so sunk into us from the time we're little that we have to be good at everything and we have to be balanced? And you know what happens as a parent, your child comes home, four A's and a C, and what do you do? You jump on the C. You need to study more. You need to bring this up. We miss the A's. We miss the areas of giftedness. We miss the areas of passion. And we steer them to be, well, more like us. Just kind of solid at everything. Rather than to move after those things that, that seem to be God-given. The talents that drive them most. When Buckingham goes around the country and, and lectures, he uses this phrase, that there are people he calls 20 percenters. The 20 percenters are this. They're the 20% of people in America who get to go to work and do what they do best. He says 80% of Americans go to work and do things that they don't do best. They just do those other things they've been hired to do. And we wonder why sometimes as a nation we're not as productive as we might like or others are catching up or some are passing We've got people in the wrong places wearing Saul's armor and fighting and losing battles on a daily basis. One consultant, Pat Murray, put it this way. He said, if you want to see real pain, if you want to see real human pain, find a person who knows intimately 
who he or she is, and they have to deny it on a regular basis. There you'll find a person in pain. The normal human being who, when they get in touch with who they really are, every day have to get up and take their lunch pail to work and be somebody else. That's pain. And God's just simply not interested in that kind of pain. And so David gets released to do better what he already does best. And he brings those gifts and those talents into the battle. Final thing I want you to know about David's courageous and bold heart is this, that a bold heart proceeds with passion. To talk about David's gifts would only be half the story. In fact, it might even be less than half the story. The greater percentage is this, that David is passionate about God, passionate about the cause of God, passionate about the people of God, and that's what thrusts him in the battle. That's what, it's not, hey, I'm good with a slingshot, I might as well do something here. It's no. This person is defying the armies of the living God. Always, when your heart is with God, follow your heart. Now, when your heart is not with God, that's a whole other matter. But when your heart is a heart after God, then you follow your heart. You remember the legendary story Peter Drucker, who died just this past year, taught generations of, of NBA students at USC. And one of the things he always told them the first day of class was, follow your heart. Money and success will follow that. But do what you love. But I would say this, but make sure it's, it's a godly love. A love that God has put in your heart. Follow that passion. And in fact, I would say if you have to choose between passion and gifts, you choose your passion because once you find your passion, it will elicit your gifts. And not only that, it will elicit the gifts of other people who also are passionate about the very things that you're passionate about. Some of you may have stayed up last night or tuned in the radio to you know, Live Earth from so many places, uh, Beijing and, and Tokyo and London and Giant Stadium, Rio de Janeiro, artists all aligned around one cause, our climate. And it called forth their gifts. Start with a passion. Moses. Moses started with a passion to free God's people. Who would have known that Moses was a leader? Who would have known that Moses was one of the world's great leaders? Nobody. Till he found his passion. Who would have known about Abraham Lincoln until 1857? And he finds his passion because of freedom. For the slaves. And all sorts of gifts come gather to that passion. When you combine a passion for God and use the gifts that God has given you, where you can say, This is what I do, this is who I am, there's not a difference between the two, then you're in the place where God had David. But you might be thinking to yourself, Well, now, if David was so good, why did he pick up? Five stones. Was he afraid that Goliath was too big for that one stone? Did he think he might miss? Not at all. The rabbis in the days of Jesus and before, pointing back to 2 Samuel 21, and evidence there, make this startling revelation. That giant wasn't the only, Goliath was not the only giant in Gath. He had four giant-sized brothers. And David was simply saying, bring them on. Bring them on. A person with a passion for God, using the gifts of God, cannot and will not be stopped.